You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. I want to share a story of what the Babylonians, like Nebuchadnezzar, thought about how everything came to be. I'm going to share this story because I think it will help make sense of, of Daniel chapter 4 and why Daniel chapter 4 is, is in our Bibles. So long ago existed the uh, goddess Tiamat. Here, that's this attractive woman right here uh, with wings. It's got like a dragon's face or something going on there. Uh, Tiamat and her mate, Apsu, that's him right there. And they, uh, so Tiamat is the goddess of salt water. Apsu is the god of fresh water. And they were locked in an embrace for who knows how long. And uh, out of their relationship came uh, these lesser gods that were, that were born or created. And uh, as a result, they it resulted in chaos. Uh, before kids, <laughs> their kids came onto the scene, like many of us, uh, there was peace and tranquility. And then kids came on, and then there is chaos. And so, uh, so Apsu, being the stellar father that he was, decided, I know what we can do to fix this. Let's just kill them all. Like, that's, that's the Babylonian god, Apsu. And so he was conspiring to do that. And uh, before he was able to carry that out, one of his descendants in the whole god realm uh, killed him. Uh, this guy, uh, Ea, killed Apsu and took his place. Well, that didn't make Tiamat happy at all. So, so what she did was she created an army of dragons and monsters to kill off the, uh, the, the, the lesser gods. And, and so she set this guy by the name of Kingu, who was like a Satan figure, uh, to spearhead this, this, this army to wipe out these, these younger and lesser gods. Well, what what uh, Tiamat didn't plan for is that uh, in this realm of lesser gods was a guy by the name of Marduk, who eventually became the chief and uh, chief god of the Babylonians. He is he was considered the most high god of heaven and earth, and so so the lesser gods came together and said, "Hey Marduk, can you do us a favor? If you kill Tiamat, we will." bow down to you, you will be our king, and, and then you can rule over us. And he said, no problem. And being the god of thunder that he was, what he did was he somehow filled Tiamat with air, took out his bow, shot her with an arrow, split her in half, and with one half created heaven, and then the other half created earth. You tracking with me? Is that, okay, good. Um, but what was to be done with Kingu, the evil... Uh, commander of the, the dragons and monsters that Tiamat created. Well, Marduk killed him, and uh, he needed to fill the earth with somebody uh, or with people, so he used Kingu's blood and made human beings, and that's how we came to be. That's according to the Babylonians. <clears throat> so, Murdoch, or Marduk was uh, the god that was worshipped by the first Nebuchadnezzar. I'm going to talk about this in a minute. The second Nebuchadnezzar, but not the third Nebuchadnezzar. But he was considered the most high God. And it was because of Murduk that Babylon was created. And so that's why he was considered the, the, the most high God. So then, 
for, for, this, for Nebuchadnezzar, the Nebuchadnezzar of Daniel chapter 4, for him to say in verses 34 through 35, <clears throat> to lift up his eyes to heaven, to have his reason return to him, and to respond, I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven, even over Marduk. Or Marduk. Uh, that, was, that was countercultural in that day. For, for him to say that the God of the Jews, of the Hebrew people, that we forcibly, that the first Nebuchadnezzar, or no, the second Nebuchadnezzar forcibly removed from Israel or from the land of Israel and, and put them into exile, that their God is the God over all our gods would not have sat well with anybody. And, uh, and so that's exactly, though, what he said. The phrase most high, like I said last Sunday, was used six times in this chapter the God of the Hebrew people, the God of Daniel, is the Most High who rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it uh, the, the lowliest of men. In Daniel chapter 4, verses 23 through 25, Nebuchadnezzar is warned that, uh, that he will behave like a wild ox until he recognizes God, the God over the Hebrew people, as the Most High who rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Um, when Nebuchadnezzar came to his senses after seven years of insanity, his reason returned to him, and uh, he blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, whose dominion and kingdom endures from generation to generation. That, that, that was countercultural for, for the Babylonians, for anything to be said of the Hebrew people's God, who is the God over all people. Um, and, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, he didn't keep this to himself. It wasn't like he said, well, I, I believe this now, but I'm not, I'm not going public with this. He went public with it in the beginning of chapter 4. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in the earth. This is verse 1. Uh, dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. Well, what God? Yahweh. Not Marduk. Yahweh. Uh, how great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. That God. So Nebuchadnezzar went public with, with this, this epiphany that he had of who the real God, who the true God uh, was. And, um, and so what I want to do with our time is I want to look at this Nebuchadnezzar, and then after I, we look at him, so that would be my first point, Nebuchadnezzar was unhinged. I'm going to talk about that. There are some exciting things about, about what really happened there. And then uh, I'm going to talk about uh, God, uh, our God who is unflustered, meaning he doesn't get frustrated. That's significant. That's actually really good news. So first, the, Nebuchadnezzar was unhinged. So here's the deal. I kind of hinted at this last week. In the first three chapters of Daniel, we're introduced to a Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, what we know in human history is that there were four Nebuchadnezzars. There were four kings or rulers who went by the name Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, you had Nebuchadnezzar the, the first. I won't even try to pronounce his, his birth name. 
You had uh, Nebuchadnezzar II. He is the Nebuchadnezzar of, Daniel's, of Daniel chapters 1 through 3. And then uh, you have Nebuchadnezzar III, who I will talk about. I believe he's the Nebuchadnezzar of Daniel chapter 4. And then you have Nebuchadnezzar number 4, who claimed to be Nebuchadnezzar number 2. And he actually is somebody you might be familiar with. His name was Saddam Hussein. And when he invaded Kuwait, he, said, he claimed to be the, uh, the reincarnation of Nebuchadnezzar. And so he actually was actively, before uh, Iraq was invaded, he was actively trying to rebuild Babylon as it was. Uh, and if you know anything about Saddam Hussein, that dude was wicked. And uh, there are, there's video of, of you know, these, these festivals that he would host of guys you know, piercing themselves with swords and all kinds of stuff, just horrible stuff. But I'm not going to talk about Saddam Hussein. I'm going to focus on uh, this, this Nebuchadnezzar number three guy uh, and how he, came to, how he came to power. So just, and this will, if you just track with me, this I think will help you appreciate Daniel chapter four even more than when you first walked in here. Uh, so Nebuchadnezzar number two, the Nebuchadnezzar of chapters one through three, had three individuals who ruled after him. That all happened between chapter 3 and chapter 4 in history. Like, in the history books, this happened. Uh, you can Google it, and, and you can look these guys up. I'm not going to say all their names. You can download my manuscript. I got their names, and I got the years that they reigned uh, in my manuscript. But um, uh, the first one was a descendant of Nebuchadnezzar. You know, like, all, like many kingdoms, they tried to keep the kingdom reign within the family, right? Uh, you even have that in Israel, the, the, the tribe that was promised a king who would reign forever and ever is the tribe of Judah. Out of the tribe of Judah would come uh, Jesus, which that happened, that's a whole other sermon. Uh, but, but so that didn't happen with Nebuchadnezzar's lineage. Um, so he had somebody who was related to him who ascended the throne, but then he was assassinated by his brother-in-law. His brother-in-law, who wasn't really related to him, reigned for about three years, and then he was killed. And then there was another guy who was not related to the family, I believe, at all, somehow connected, um, but not, 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 not by blood. Uh, he reigned for about three months. And then you have this guy, uh, now, <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, I think that's the correct pronunciation. I actually looked it up. I hit the, hit the play button. How do I pronounce this? Um, he led a coup that uh, resulted in the death of the guy who only reigned for three months and had him killed <clears throat> and took the throne by force, and he reigned and ruled for 17 years. Now, here's the significant thing about this. He literally stole the throne from Nebuchadnezzar's dynasty, from his family line. Like, no, how, how, I mean, you just don't do that unless you've got some skills, right? And so he, he had skills, and he did it. And here are three reasons why I believe Nebuchadnezzar is uh, the Nebuchadnezzar of Daniel chapter 4. Uh, one, when you read at the beginning of Daniel chapter 4, he had a dream. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And who did he call? He called the magicians, the astrologers, the uh, Chaldeans. Um, he called uh, you know, the psychics. He called the same people 
that he called earlier that 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 were called earlier in Daniel who show who demonstrated that they had no ability to interpret dreams. So if this was the same day same Nebuchadnezzar of the first three chapters, why would he do the same thing? So that's reason number one. Um, a more I think exciting reason is the second reason why I believe this is you know Nebuchadnezzar 3.0, um, and that is. Uh, because, and we're going to talk about this guy next week, Belshazzar in chapter 5 was actually uh, Nebuchadnezzar's son. So that's, that's reason number three. Like, in the history books, he was his son. And then the third reason, which is even more exciting, is that according to the Babylonian Chronicles in their history books, Nebuchadnezzar III, who was Nebuchadnezzar's, uh, mysteriously disappeared for seven years, like he just vanished and then reappeared, which falls right in line with Daniel chapter four. See, before scholars, uh, liberal scholars would say, "See, Daniel's not true. This can't possibly be the you know uh, the same. This can't possibly be right. This can't possibly be Nebuchadnezzar that Daniel's talking about. Daniel didn't write you know this in in this time period." But if this is Nebuchadnezzar, you know, 3.0 or Nebuchadnezzar the third, then um, then it falls right in line with Daniel chapter four, which I love. I, lo- you know, the Bible affirms like what they wind up digging up later, where archaeological archaeology uncovers later. They start off doubting the Bible, then they say, oh look, like for example, the walls of Jericho, they didn't fall outward; they came in inward. Like, that's a recent discovery. That means that kind of lines up with Joshua, you know, surrounding the city and then blowing the, their horns and the walls coming, you know, tumbling down. Um, they, used to, they used to think that uh, the first five books of the Bible uh, were not written by Moses, but by written, written by somebody else, and that actually Numbers was written during the Babylonian exile until the archaeologists discovered a quote, a verse uh, on a little necklace medallion thing from numbers that was buried really deep in the ground that would show that uh, actually people were reading the book of numbers long before the Babylonian exile. So none of that's in my manuscript, none of that's in my notes. I'm just telling you that the Bible is true. And then, uh, and then it just takes, it's, sometimes it's just a matter of time before certain things are affirmed to be true in the Bible that archaeologists and liberal scholars say that couldn't possibly have happened. Well, uh, Nebuchadnezzar III disappeared for, for seven years, and the Bible tells us why he did that. He went crazy. Uh, when he, was, <laughs> he accomplished some pretty great things. Like He, uh, he moved the, the, the capital of Babylon you know, into uh, the desert, the Arabian desert. He, crea- he built his palace in the Arabian desert. He removed, forcibly removed the, the kingship you know, from the family of Nebuchadnezzar and, and, and assumed the role of Nebuchadnezzar. Those are pretty amazing things that he did. And so when he is on his palace and you, and you read about him saying, look what I've done, look what I've built, look, look, at, the, look at my majesty, uh, he had a lot to boast about. So he had this dream long before, you know, a year before he, uh, he wound up going insane. He had a dream, and I'm not going to read everything in, in the chapter. He had this dream, 
and he wasn't sure what to make of it. It just troubled him. It troubled him so much that we're told that he stayed awake. He tossed and turned, just, just couldn't figure out, well, what does this mean? What does this mean? He calls the magicians and the astrologers and the Chaldeans, and, they, and they're unable to interpret the dream. He said, I know, I know of a guy by the name of Daniel, and I know what he will, t- like Daniel had a reputation of being a truth teller. And he also had a reputation of not being afraid of what would happen to him if he said to the king what the king didn't want to hear. He had a reputation of that. Something that we need to learn from. Like, when it comes to truth, we should be known as people of truth. People of the book. We should also learn from Daniel the best way to help people understand the truth or to share truth or the word of God with people. So Daniel was called into the king's court. He said, here's my dream. And Daniel's response was that he was dismayed and alarmed. Why was he dismayed and alarmed? Not because he thought the king would get violent with him. I don't, I don't think that at all. He was dismayed and alarmed because of what the dream meant for the king. Even though the king did not share Daniel's worldview, even though the king did not worship the God that Daniel worshipped, Daniel still cared for this guy. Daniel is a great example of what loving your neighbor looks like. And so Daniel was loving his neighbor. I believe he loved the king. And so the king said, it's okay, Daniel, you can tell me the meaning and interpretation of the dream. And Daniel did. And even in his response, uh, Daniel said in verse 19, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. Like, I don't want this to come upon you, but it's coming. And so Daniel interpreted the dream, and he said, you're literally going to go insane, Nebuchadnezzar. You're going to go insane, and it's going to last seven years. I don't... How many of you have been sick for a long time? For like, a, like two weeks. Two weeks feels like an eternity, doesn't it, sometimes? Like you get the flu and it just doesn't go away. Imagine being insane for seven years. Like Daniel said, you, this isn't going to be something you experience for a month. This isn't going to be something you experience for, for, for six months. This is something that you're going to experience for seven years. And you will be insane your majesty and your splendor will be stripped from you, and you will be humiliated. And then he says, and then Daniel goes on to say in verse 27, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Now this is how, like knowing who, what you know, version of Nebuchadnezzar this is, helps you appreciate this even all the more. He says, break off your sins by practicing righteousness <clears throat> and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. You see, you hear it? Like, like this guy was, he, he, I mean, he had a lot to boast about. And God said, the reason why you're king is because I put you there. The reason why you're awake is because I saw to it that you're awake. The reason why you have air in your lungs and you're, and you're, Walking around is because of me, Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, the same is true for each and every one of us in this room and those of you watching the live stream. We are alive because God granted it. Like I, I, you know, last week I shared with you my, the story about my mom. 
Um, and I ended that sermon by saying, what if I got on the plane, landed in Indianapolis, and got a phone call that said my mom died? Would anything about the goodness, any truth about the goodness of God have changed? Well, no, absolutely not. God is good. And um, it just blows me away. Like, I had a conversation with my mom on uh, Thursday and had a really great conversation with her. She was doing even better. She was eating. Um, according to her, she's eating. My stepdad says, no, she's, she didn't eat breakfast, she didn't eat lunch, but she drank all of her cappuccino. So I'm like, well, that's calories, so that counts, right? But, uh, but I got a call on Friday. My mom is now in rehab. Like, on Thursday, dialysis, it was looking like dialysis for eight weeks. Friday, she's, on re she's in rehab off of dialysis. She's got the same medical team. Um, and, uh, and, and so things are looking even better. It doesn't change the fact that who God is, even if they got worse. God is still good. But he is the one. By, for, he's the reason why we're here, why you got up this morning. It is arrogant to think that you are here or where you're at in life because of your own ingenuity and your own ability. Who put your brain in your cranium? <laughs> right? Who gave you lungs? Who gave you limbs? Who gave you nerves? And who gave you those things? God did. All of which are meant to, to are designed to know Him and to enjoy Him. Um, you know, I, when I decided to get healthy, I, I shared this story. When I decided to get healthy well, back in 2012, was, <laughs> what seemed to be um, the experience of death when I first started running for the first time, uh, we were running, like, we, it was like a half a mile, and I was just winded and, and uh, fatigued. And my friend said, well, I guess we're adding years to our life. And, I, and we're running, and there was a pause. And I said, no, no, I'm just... My hope is that by doing this, I'm not going to sit on a couch someday on oxygen, unable to move. God has numbered our days. But he's also called us to be good stewards of our bodies, to be wise with what we put into our mouths, right, and, and, and how, we, how we function. Um, you know, there's wisdom. There's wisdom in <laughs> when you go for a hike, not eating every berry that you see on a bush, right, because you'll, you'll probably die or get really sick. Um, there's wisdom there. But it's God, God is the one who sustains life. He is the one who has numbered our days. And, uh, and Nebuchadnezzar forgot that. And so God said, all right, so you want to act like an insane person by attributing everything that you're experiencing to yourself? Then you're going to experience what it's like to be an insane person for seven years. And that's what he experienced. Um, and, and we know that he didn't repent because he was on his palace 12 months later saying, look what I've done. Look what I did. I'm just going to continue doing what I've been doing because it seems to be working. And we're told that, um, you know, after he said, you know, is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty, while the words were still in the king's mouth, while he was still saying them, I mean, he had more to say. God said, I had enough. That's enough. And uh, 
a voice from heaven said, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom shall depart from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And we're told immediately that's exactly what happened. He went crazy. He went crazy. And then... uh, At some point, we're told his reason returned to him. Do you know how his reason returned to him? Well, he tells us. He understood at that point who God was and who he was in light of the reality of this God who is the God of Daniel and the Hebrew people and the God who spoke the galaxies into existence, not Tiamat and some, you know, weird deity. It was... It was God who did that. It was God who did it. I said, um, well, before I get there, there's a Psalm chapter 50, verses 9 through 11. You know, so God is unflustered. God is unflustered. I want to I just kind of end our time with just wrapping our minds around that. What does it mean for God to be unflustered? He doesn't get frustrated. How many of you have been frustrated at some point this week? And why were you frustrated? Because your plans did not go according to your will. Right? Right? So like this morning, it took me longer to get ready. Why? Because my plans didn't go according to my plan. Like it it didn't pan out. And so I got here a little later. I mean, not much later, but it just wasn't wasn't a real uh, uh, clean start to my morning. We get frustrated because our plans don't go according to the way we want them to go. When I was in Florida, I was frustrated because I wanted my mom to be healthy and and things were not going the way that I wanted things to go. God is unflustered. You know what that means? He does not get frustrated. If God is eternally sovereign, paternally sovereign, and benevolently sovereign, it is impossible. Listen, it's impossible for him to be frustrated. That doesn't mean that he doesn't it doesn't mean that he doesn't get angry. He gets he gets angry. Not because he's frustrated, but because he's righteous and he is holy. His plans go according to his plans. Uh, There's a psalm that says, God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. Uh, There was a um, fellow by the name of George uh, Mueller whose wife died. And his whole ministry uh, was, you know, he didn't ask for for funds or any of that, kind of like Hudson Taylor, who was a missionary to China. He believed that God would see to it that his, his... funds would, like, people would donate. And, and so he, he did his wife's funeral after his wife died. And, his, and the text for the passage that he preached on for his wife's funeral was that passage. God is in the heavens, and he does whatever he pleases him. And his first point was, God was good in giving my wife to me. And his second point was, I believe, God was good in taking her from me. God is good. He doesn't get frustrated. He doesn't get frustrated. He is sovereign. And that is good news, like I said last week. He is a heavenly father who is benevolent. He, he, he is eager to lavish upon you um, what is good for you that will ultimately uh, display his glory. You know, his, God's glory, you, most of you know this, is God's character put on display for the world to see. Um, his, his love, his justice, his wrath, his grace, his mercy, all those things put on display. 
And, uh, and so it is, it is uh, arrogant to, like I said last week, it is arrogant to measure the goodness of God against our own standard of good. Like we have to get better at being good, not God. It is equally arrogant. It is equally arrogant to, uh, to, to assume that we are the one who are calling the shot. We're the ones calling the shots in terms of the, the scheme and plan of, of, of our life. That's arrogant. It's arrogant to assume that you or myself is the center of God's universe. That's arrogant. It is arrogant. You are not the center of God's universe. When God created all of creation, it wasn't because he was lonely and depressed. He wasn't like in heaven thinking, ah, boy, this is boring. Been here all eternity. What am I going to do now? Uh, oh, I know. I'll create little pets. We'll call them humans. Like that wasn't, that wasn't God, what God did. He, it, creation, listen, creation is the overflow of God's love and the expression of his love is that he created you and he created me. We are made we were by design made to know and to enjoy the greatest reality in the universe, which is God. Let that settle on your hearts for a moment. Like the person sitting next to you, no matter how much that person may love you or no matter how much you love that person, is not the greatest reality in your universe. If that person is, you will be frustrated and disappointed. Why? I don't have to ask you. You can just tell your, the person sitting next to you why. Don't do it here, just later. And then if you need counseling, talk to me. Give me a call. I'll be happy to help. So but I tell every couple that's getting free marital counseling, the person sitting next to you is not the greatest reality in your life. It, it, she or he cannot be. You will be frustrated. The greatest reality in your life must be God. We are made for him. Like the person sitting next to you does not complete you. The person sitting next to you helps you. <laughs> right? The person sitting next to you can be a companion to you. But the person next to you doesn't, like, doesn't, can't do what only God can do. We were made to know God. Uh, for those of you thinking that one day you might get married, that's free advice. So um, if anybody comes to you, any guy or girl says, you complete me, say, see you later. Um, well, you don't have to do that, but anyway, I'm not going to say any more. Okay, so... Uh, it is arrogant to assume that we are the center of the universe. Like there's a, you know, I check out other sermons series just to kind of see what people are preaching. There's a sermon series I shared. I shared the title with some of my friends or some of the staff, and I just said, "Hey, does this? When you hear this, does this sound strange to you?" And the title of the sermon series is "You Matter Most." And uh, I know what I know what the pastor's trying to do, and I and I don't think he's intending to do what his sermon series assumes in, the, in its title. Listen, newsflash, you don't matter most. God does. Like Philippians chapter 2 is great in helping you understand your place in the universe. We, uh, we are to have this mind that was in Christ. He humbled himself. How did he humble himself? Well, he took the, 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 the position of a servant, the, he, the posture of a servant. Well, what did that look like? Well, it led him to the cross. Um, so, you don't matter most. God does. And, uh, and if, you read, if you read Daniel chapter 4 and you, and you assume as you're reading this, 
You know, you know, well, Nebuchadnezzar was a fool, which he was, right? He was a fool. But if, if, if your conclusion is, well, he was a fool, but not me. I'm not Nebuchadnezzar. He should have known better. But we're all Nebuchadnezzar at some point in our lives. We, we, we've made the same, fallen into the same trap. Like my prayer for for when the pandemic started, was that this would cause the church to thrive and be what the church is called to be. And it hasn't done that. I mean, it's done it for some of us, like, right, right? I mean, like, like, I think if we were to have you share your testimony and your story, I think many of you would say, you know, I'm closer as a result of this to the Lord. I'm walking with the Lord in a way I've not walked with him before. But statistically speaking, COVID, so I, these are statistics. I, I told my wife yesterday, I'm like, I, I'm probably going to make somebody mad. Um, but that's okay. Um, I work for Jesus. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I do uh, work for Jesus, but, but um, I still can get fired. All right, so after, <laughs> so after, so I was just doing some research. After 12 months of COVID, American Christians seem more apathetic about their faith than before COVID. So according to Reach Right, which is, and I, there are several different sources I want to, Reach Right, Barna, some other ones. Um, according to Reach Right, Christians who claim to practice their faith declined from 40% before COVID to 25% in 2021. I hope that's not true, but that's statistically that's 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 and that's not just one group saying this. There are multiple groups that are pointing this out. Attendance for the average church in America remains at 36% of what it was before the pandemic hit. Uh, we're not at 36%. I would say we're probably like 70%, um, 60 to 70%. But but um, and I praise God for that. But really. <laughs> Right? My hope was that COVID would be, and maybe it might still be, a catalyst to cause revival and awakening in the, in the American church, because it needs it. Like church, uh, the, the bride of Christ and other nations like China and, and, uh, and North Korea and, and, and other difficult places, like, like in the continent of Africa, um, in different regions where it's hard to be a Christian because literally if you identify as being a Christian, it is a death sentence, but they still gather, they still meet, they do it cautiously, but they still, the, the church is thriving in China. The church is thriving in North Korea. The church is thriving in these different countries in, 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 in Africa. But in America, it's declining for the first time. Uh, they launched all religions but for the first time in America, those who attend any type of religious service on any given day in the week is lower than 50%. And so, I mean, that means, so those born, Christians who were born, those who ascribe, of being, ascribe to being a Christian who were born between 1980 and the early 2000s, were polled, and according to the polls, 52% of them have no desire or plan to return to the church. 
return to gathering in person. And, um, and, and if you think, if you think, well, who really needs to gather in person? We have, we've got, we've got, we can do it digitally. That, that is a good substitute that's not for the long term. God's purpose or Christ's purpose of the church was never, that, was never for her to gather remotely. It was always to gather together. We need each other. And if you're wondering, well, that was then. They didn't have the internet then. Well, Revelation is in the future. <laughs> and in Revelation chapter 5, they're not worshiping the Lion of Judah who is the Lamb who was slain digitally or in front of their computer. They're gathered. Every nation and people group and tongue are gathered around together before the Lamb, worshiping him, crying out, worthy is the, one who was, the Lamb who was slain to receive glory and power and majesty. And so if we read this and we think, well, well, I'm not Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, just reflect on the last 12 months. Over 50% of, the, of Christians, based on statistics, are not back in, in, in church or will not, or let me rephrase that, because I, I don't want you to misunderstand those watching the live stream. Um, 50 per, at least 50% of those who ascribe to follow Jesus have no intention of ever gathering in, in, in person worship services. And the reason why, the reason why, this might make some people mad, is that they do not believe that they need to church, the church to live out the Christian life well, which runs against the grain of Christ's purpose for the church. It's like saying, I don't care what Jesus said, I'm going to do it my way. I don't care about this, this model of the church in Acts. I'm just going to do it my way. And then over the past, I'll stop there. I want, to, I want to continue. Over the past 12 months, we have allowed, here's the other thing. Okay, now here's the other rub. I figure I'll make some people angry. I might as well make everybody else angry. So, um, oh, including myself. I'm preaching to myself. But over the past 12 months, we've allowed our political affiliation and racial bias to shape our responses to one another instead of what Jesus told us how we should respond to one another, and that we, our response ought to be one of love. Amen. Now, that doesn't mean sugarcoating the truth. We should be telling the truth, and we should be doing it in love, with grace and mercy. Like, there is no place in the Bible that gives us a hall pass to be a jerk for Jesus, okay? Like, we're... Like Jesus said, look, well, I'll even, I'll show you. It's in the Bible. Here's on the screen. Um, John chapter 13, let's read this, read this together. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What are the two greatest commandments? Jesus was asked, what are the two, what's the great commandment? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength. That's the first commandment. That's the first four of the ten commandments. The, the last six commandments is to love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments is the whole law of God. Loving God and loving your neighbor. I said this, that you... Um, If you do not love your neighbor, that doesn't mean you sugarcoat the truth or that you don't be truthful or you know, we must be people of the truth. But if you are not loving your neighbor, then there's something wrong with your relationship with God. 
Your vertical relationship with God should overflow into your horizontal relationships with your neighbor, your family, your friends, and people in the church. And if you're wondering, what, what does love look like? Well, we're told in the Bible what it looks like. Let's read this together. Ready? Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's what love looks like. Not breaking fellowship with your brother or sister in Christ because they angered you because they voted for another, you know, uh, the, the other candidate. Or because you have a hard time wrapping your, your mind around you know, their experience as a person of color versus your experience that somehow they must be wrong because it's not your experience and that your response is one of anger and bitterness. Our response should be one of love. Like to listen to each other. To, to, even when we disagree, to, to continue to fellowship with one another. To be able to disagree. Like this is a lost art. Disagreeing charitably. To be able to say, I don't see your point of view. I have a hard time wrapping my mind around it, but that doesn't affect how I, care, how I feel about you. I still love you. You're still my brother. You're still my sister. We're still hang out. But that's what love looks like. And so why did God humble Nebuchadnezzar? Well, we're told in James chapter 4, verse 7, God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. James, the epistle of James, James was the half-brother of Jesus, James, that's written to the church. It's written for us. So Nebuchadnezzar's reason returned to him, and he saw God exactly for the way God, for who God is. And then by understanding who God is, he understood who he was. <laughs> that his authority was not given to him by his own power or ingenuity. It was God. And, uh, I have a couple more passages, and it will be done. Um, my wife is in the service, so I don't have to fear for my life from the nursery workers. So they'll still be angry with me. Uh, so Isaiah chapter 66, verses 1 through 2. This is a good one. This was written years before uh, God used the Babylonian Empire, Nebuchadnezzar, to forcibly remove the Hebrew people from their homeland as a form of discipline. This was, this was years before that because what was Israel doing? They were not listening to the word of God. They were not humbling themselves before God. So let's read this together. Ready? Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit. And what? Trembles at my word. You know what that means? It means when you hear the word of God, when you read it, you understand that the voice that you are hearing through the pages of scripture is the same voice that spoke the galaxies into existence. And what does it do? It causes you to tremble. Not in, in this, this paralyzing fear, but in the kind of response where you realize God has spoken over my life and I should, I should mold my life or shape my life or respond accordingly. So if God in his word tells me that I should live a certain way, my response must not be, 
eh, that was for then and not for, for today. Or, or that, yeah, this is dated. Shouldn't affect the way I live my life now. I mean, I, I know what's best for me. I'll do me. God can do God. <laughs> right? That is arrogant. And um, God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. One other passage. Um, James. I want you to see this passage in its context. But let's read it together. Ready? But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. That's for us. Man, I, that should be the lesson of, of, of 2020 and 2021. That in the midst of pandemics and crazy politics, and uncertain future for our country and for the nations that God reigns and he rules. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to, gener to generation. He he's in heaven and he does whatever pleases him. That when we hear our Savior's words, and I've shared this with you multiple times, so you maybe even have this memorized. When Jesus said to his disciples, some of you they will kill, but not a hair on your head will what? Perish. Like that's the word of God. The church was not designed or meant to function by social distancing or remotely. We were made for each other because we need each other. We need each other. And... Um, and, and COVID is just this little microbe, little thing. You can't even see it. And uh, for some, and it's horrible. Like, I've, you know, Nathan, Nathan had it. Our whole family had it, uh, except for maybe Roy Ma. But, you know, Zadan and Seth got the sniffles and the little, little mild, you know, um, temperature, you know, fever. Uh, I had it for four weeks. I got hit pretty hard with it, you know, two Februarys ago. Nathan had it, and he was put in the hospital as a result of it. Like, he's, it's a horrible virus. But not even a virus can result in us, being, uh, in us perishing. And do we really, really believe the God that we say we believe? Be wise. You know, it's okay to be cautious to a, to a fault, but not at the expense of it um, shipwrecking your faith or you hiding um, from a virus when it is God who's in heaven and he does whatever he pleases. Amen? Amen. All right. You can send me angry emails on the live stream if you want. It's okay. Um, I love you anyway, <laughs> just letting you know, um, and anybody else here, no, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your grace and your mercy and what you're doing in our lives. And God, there are people who are affected by this virus in a way that is, has serious health implications on them.
God, I pray for healing for them. I pray for the family of that firefighter who uh, was, trying to, was, was trying to recover from COVID for six months, and then he just succumbed to COVID, and he died. I pray for his family. I pray, God, that they would just experience your peace and your grace, and you raise up people, your people, to, 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 to love on them and to care for them. God, and there's so many others. Because of this virus, we'll never be the same. God, it, the crazy politics of our nation and, 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 and this idea of what race is. and God, I don't know if our nation will ever recover, but you have called your people to be a light to the nations. You've called us to be a light to this country as citizens of your kingdom first and secondary citizens of America. So may we shine like the brightness of the stars and shine well for your glory and for the good of our neighbors. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.